Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. Well, before um, Mom gets going tonight, and uh, she's she's got quite a bit of really anointed insight into the Feast of Tabernacles and us celebrating it this year and the way that we're doing it. Um, it's just really special, but I wanted to kind of preface what she's saying with a little bit of a big picture or backdrop to everything we're going to get into, because I don't want us to undermine ourselves for lack of understanding of what's happening. Um, so as I was thinking about this today, uh, it really led me to a place of thinking about authority. And we've been called a governmental family, and we began to understand that that's what we're called to be, not just family, not just a fellowship. Uh, We're not a a country club. We're not a place where we just pat each other on the back, but we're here for a purpose, and that's to govern, right? We're not just a family, but we govern. Even how we're starting to identify the different roles that we're taking by having family over here and business over there and the different ways that we deal with things. And so that's a real thing, the country club, because in Kentucky, it's all over. <laughs> if you pay your tithes, you get to go to the gym. So it's an, like it's actually set up essentially like, like country club, status. country club, where you have access to the amenities. If you're a member and pay tithes, then you have access to their spa and gym and sauna. And... Yeah. So, I mean, we've gone through the, we've walked through the the breakdown and the understanding of that we're not a church, that the word church actually isn't genuine to the original, uh, the early Cahal, right? So we understand that, you know, going from church to ecclesia to Cahal, we understand and we start to regain our identity through that process. And Tabernacles is going to be important to solidify that. And the reason why I'm talking about authority is because we have to understand authority in a certain way as it relates to tabernacles. So when Yahweh took his people out of Egypt and took them into the wilderness, into tabernacles, into booths or sukkuts, whatever you want to call them, right? Uh, Temporary dwelling places, just like we have set up right here. When he did that, he gave his people authority. And we think of authority in a certain way because of our culture now. But when you actually break down what that authority was at that time, it was actually rest. He was giving them rest, but in rest, he was giving them authority because he brought them out of subjection from a false government. So what he was really doing was he was releasing them and saving them from a false government because they're actually the ones that are supposed to be governing. So in that transaction, in that transition, by releasing them or saving them from a false government and bringing them into a temporary dwelling place, he was giving them authority as the ones who are supposed to govern. Okay? That's important for us to understand now as we engage in tabernacles and we step into expansion and everything we're stepping into, 
Because what is what has he been saying and leading us? We're supposed to detach ourselves from worldly systems. We're supposed to, we're, we need to have the discernment to know if we're going to be subjected to something, whether that's a genuine authority or not. Am, am I, are we supposed to subject ourselves to something or are we supposed to be the ones governing that thing? Okay. It's important to understand because if we don't willingly embrace the Father's instructions, the, the very thing that sent them out and kept them safe and safeguarded their state of liberation, if we don't embrace that, we're going to undermine our own authority. If we don't receive the Father's instructions, then we're undermining the very thing that establishes our authority to govern in the first place. So, when you look at the Scripture in Genesis 1, verse 18, the Father talks about, in the midst of Him creating everything we know, in the midst of that, He talks about governing the seasons and times, which is basically the feasts. The things that we're celebrating, just like tabernacles. So that's one of the feasts that he commands us to govern. And he's doing it in the midst of creating the world. So that's how important it was to him. right? It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't like uh, an automobile manufacturer engineering a car and then like, oh, a cup holder would be nice right here, so let's just throw that in there at the last second. Okay. right? He wasn't... This command to celebrate the feast forever was on his mind before men were even created. So there's implications as far as creation. Like that's the magnitude of what we're celebrating. He had it in his mind while he was creating the stars in the sky. Then when you go to Zechariah 14, prophetically, he talks about celebrating Sukkot eternally. Like every nation will celebrate it eternally. So we're talking about the perspective of it's not about Jew or Gentile, right? If we think about it that way, or if we still think of it in terms of, well, that's a Jewish thing, right? You're you're bringing the magnitude of this thing in Yahweh's eyes down to a very narrow worldly perspective, right? He had it in mind during creation and even outside of time, he had it in mind that we're supposed to govern. And governance and authority means rest because you've been released from subjection to something else that's governing. So this Tabernacles is really about us remembering and also looking forward to the future and taking our rightful seat of governance because we're the governmental family, not Pharaoh, not the United States government, not whatever not whatever right whatever would take that place of governance we're the governmental family right so that's the backdrop that i want you guys to think about when we begin this process of really going back through tabernacles to remember why we celebrate it and why we celebrate it with joy it's actually the only feast where he commands you to be joyful (laughs) right so why do we celebrate this with joy? Why are we celebrating it in the first place? Right? We're remembering what happened. We're remembering what he commanded us to do. We're remembering what our identity is and that the magnitude of this command and the magnitude of this opportunity was 
in his mind when he was creating the universe. Right? It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a, uh, let me create everything and then I'll add this commandment later. Right? It's in, it's in his eternal perspective, our authority. So I just wanted to really give that backdrop because a lot of what we're going to be talking about moving forward in the next few weeks is what does it look like to own, right, as each and every individual to own the command to celebrate this forever, right? It's not, it's not anybody's place to tell you how to celebrate it or um, celebrate it for you, right, on your behalf. Nobody's going to come in and say, this is what we're doing, so now you guys go do it, right? We're activating that ownership and that self-government, that governmental family aspect that we're starting to walk in, and it's it's related to our authority. So it's important that we've reconciled ourselves to the Father's instructions because it's directly correlated to our ability to walk out that authority that we're called to. Okay? Did you read Genesis 22? So it says, God set them in the expanse of the sky to shine on the land and to have dominion over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. So in here, when it talks about, when it references the lights and having dominion over the the day and the night, it's talking about times and seasons. It's a little bit of an indirect connection, but when you talk about times and seasons Hebraically, that's the appointed feasts. It's the same word as feasts, Moedim. So that's what we're referring to in Genesis 1.18. It's power. We've, I mean, we've studied this before, but it's powerful stuff to recognize that, you know, it's it's a simple thing to go back to the beginning. It's a simple thing to go back to Genesis and recognize what he was doing during that time. And he didn't just create something, but he also created a structure to what he created and then also gave the structure of how to govern what he created he wouldn't create something and then just say well i can be hands off and everybody else can too it's basically an entire introduction of dominion expansion multiplication ownership our original intent this is all pre everything that we have to sort through in today's world it was pre all of that so when you go back to the original intent it's really powerful that he didn't just stop at I want to have you know communion with my sons and daughters but he created a structure before they even stepped in so that when they stepped in they knew what they were governing so and there was a lot more than just the plants and the animals you know when it talks about the Moedim it's saying the times and the seasons what does that mean when he created humankind to govern the season all of a sudden it shifts you from, you know, just having this concept of even having some ownership over plants and animals, yeah. but that you have authority over the times and the seasons. So you have authority over whether it rains or it doesn't, you know, or, or, and then when you take it beyond seasons, the times, what time are we in? What kind of, are we transitionaries are for such a time as this? What era are we in? And that was given to his people for us to govern the times versus this thought of wandering around and he's just going to do it when he pleases. 
It just, it changes everything about our relationship and it changes and gives us. So when D says it's hard, it's hard, but it's hard either way. It's hard when you're wandering around. Or it's hard when you're under Pharaoh. You're going to be governing and, and doing something with your hands. That's what he created you to do. So either way, you're operating in something. It just depends on which kingdom or which government you're wanting to operate in. If, does that make sense? So it's kind of like just this, this, to me anyways, it's hard to think about just, I'm at the fluke of, like I'm a peon and it doesn't matter that I'm here. It could be sometimes easier in one regard and also really hard in another regard. And at the same time, complete governance and being able to own something is super hard, but then also can, you know, give purpose and stuff like that. So just going back to Genesis, it's just such a powerful thing that when we remember what we were given authority over is not just um, the things that come natural that we know of, but that the times and the seasons, his appointed times and seasons, he gave to his children to, to facilitate. And it's, and it's, a really powerful thing when you begin to understand what all the feasts represent. What was Pesach? What was Shavuot? What is Tabernacles? Because then when you recognize that he fulfilled some and haven't fulfilled others, but then you're right smack in the middle of this era and you recognize that you're in, you're in a position to govern, he keeps talking about remembrance. And yes, Tabernacles is absolutely going to remember that they actually tabernacled in the midst of their journey. That actually happened. But there's an aspect of tabernacles that has not been fulfilled yet where he comes and he dwells again. And, and so there's this, I mean, I, I, I get, I just get so fired up when I was talking about Yom Teruah because how many times and years did we hear over and over and over and over again? It is a mystery you will never know. You will never know when he's coming. We don't know the time. We don't know the hour. And yet we do. It means something. And so to be a remnant that seeks, and that's what it means when he says, if you knock, I'll answer. It doesn't make any sense to say you're never going to know this part, but then read a scripture that says, if you knock, I'll answer. It doesn't. That, so, so there's these mysteries that he's been given to us. And when you recognize that what you're walking into with the fall feasts have not yet been fulfilled, there's this concept or idea that's coming about us owning of us being able to really as a family recognize what is it that we have the ability to own or to govern when we are prophesying in those times because if it's up to us to be able to govern the times and the seasons then what is the remnant to be doing during that time and season when that's when he said i'm going to fulfill it in the first place i don't i mean i just get super humbled when tabernacles comes and yom Terah comes because you know, we're trying to practice hearing the sound, but it's so real. Before it was like, well, if I'm at like the movie theater, is it going to, or, you know, you're wandering around, you know, especially then with all the left behind movies and you're, you know, you've got this concept of escapism and rapture theory. And all of a sudden we've got, you know, the, the, entertainment is now knows what revelations looks like and is infiltrating what this means. And so you're just kind of aimlessly wandering around following any doctrine, any wind of doctrine. And then in reality, we know exactly where we're going to be when he comes. It's going to look something like that. 
And we're actually going to be remembering, and we're going to be practicing, and we're going to be rehearsing. And in the midst of that rehearsal, what that is what the whole gospel is talking about when it talks about the bridegroom and the rehearsal. It's not just this concept of like, I hope the inner work was done. No, you're actually going to be at a wedding banquet. Yeah. And you're going to know what it means. You're going to know what it looks like. No more of this aimless, I wonder what heaven's like. That's what Shabbat's for, is to practice what it looks like. So when you get there, you're not like... <laughs> I mean, I know that that sounds crazy, but that I mean, that's really what's happening when you don't rehearse and you don't practice and you yeah. don't necessarily know what that stuff means. You're just going to be surprised. So think about... Your prophetic, the prophetic element of this whole thing, a lot of us, unfortunately, have been stuck in a generational misconception and concerning ourselves with prophetic authority that has us proclaiming his name and doing things in his name when ultimately the end result is going to be him potentially saying, I never knew you, right? You concerned yourself with all this prophetic authority and healing and, 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 you know, releasing demons and all these things in my name, but I didn't even know you when he's giving us the prophetic authority to call him back. Like that's the level of governance that he's giving us is to rehearse this and take part in calling him back prophetically, meeting him face to face, knowing when he's going to come back because we're, we're prepared for it. Versus concerning ourselves with the false prophetic authority and doing things and putting his name on it and getting to the place where we meet him and he says, who are you? I I don't know exactly. I mean, I think I know how tonight's going to go. But I, I I want us to... I guess I just want us by the spirit, I just want to say this out loud, that by the spirit that we would be ready to receive, because it just feels like a lull. Like I can't tell what's, I can't tell what's going on. It just feels like a, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know. It just feels like a, a lull or maybe like, <laughs> as Jacob's yawning, <laughs> like a lullaby or a, um, maybe if it was hard to get here or whatever that is, like just this like, like a lull and what I'm, what is going to be coming today may not be lively. So, and it's not that it's not, but it's not necessarily, we've had the teachings where it's like, and I felt like tonight I'm reading scripture, like to follow along with the instructions that he's given us. I've got about 15 scriptures. Some of them are entire chapters and I'm going to be reading to you. And I'm concerned that if I go through and read, it will be so easy to just, what did she say? Or tune out what's going on because of what's already, what I feel is already stirring. So I'm just wanting to prepare us like get your word and we're just, we're going to be reading and and because I, I felt like we have we have discussed enough of the feast, which I am going to do a mild review if you want to pop that up on the screen, uh, just to get us to understand the, the three feasts and all that stuff. And then I'm going to basically be going through Exodus because the reality is, what does it say about tabernacles? Right. I mean, that's what we're doing is we're getting acquainted and I'm going to read some stuff and you're probably going to do what I've been saying. Some of the scriptures I'm going to read, you're going to be like, whoa complete conviction. I'm doing that. Others are going to be like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would we do that? 
but it's but again multi-dimensional and we're just going to get acquainted i want to know what it says about tabernacles because when he says nobody can celebrate it for you then let's go to the word and let's see what it says that we're that that they did and what we and what we should do so i'm going to be in exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy basically the entire torah we're going to be in second chronicles zechariah there's a prophetic word over tabernacles then we're going to go into Ezra and Nehemiah, and this is where you're probably going to get fired up because we are going to begin to read a group of people that didn't know yeah. that there was a tabernacle because they yeah. didn't follow the Torah. They hopped on it and had to figure out, like us, how do we do tabernacles when we don't have a temple? Because at the time, the temple wasn't built, so they had to figure it out. So we're in good company. Yeah. There is a group of people that had lost the Torah, found it, tripped over it, started to read it. They were just getting, Ezra just started reading it. And all of a sudden they were like, oh my goodness, we're supposed to celebrate this for seven days. So they got crazy and decided to go celebrate for seven days. And they were figuring it out as they happened to read it. Sound familiar? Then we're going to move into the uh, renewed covenant. Well, I'm going to read some scriptures and Psalms because Zechariah gets a little rough. There is a strong word. Basically, here's the word. You're not celebrating tabernacles. He comes back. You're not with him. That's revelations in a nutshell. That's all of the prophets. This is how strong this is. This isn't, uh, well, if you did the altar call at some point, this is a, there are, there are two, there are two things in revelations that says where you're going. The two, uh, confinement restrictions, if I can say, is what? What are the two things in revelations that says you'll make it through the gate? What? Yes, I used to see and to hear what? There's two things that you need in your life. First and foremost, this son, his. I'm not, this isn't a trick question. We need the Messiah. Yeshua. We need his name. And what else? And we need to be obedient to the commandments. Those are the two things in Revelations. In, in Zechariah, there's a, there's a strong uh, prophecy about the destruction if you're outside the tabernacle. But then you go into Isaiah and Psalms, and there's these beautiful passages that talk about where, you know, you know we're going to get into this, but you know the scriptures that you've proclaimed over your life that we're going to hide under his wing? That's not lofty. There's an actual wing. There's an actual tabernacle. There is a protection that comes. And so, so we're going we're gonna to read some of those scriptures and what they were talking about when they were saying those words. Those words are in the Bible. This isn't like, oh, what is this Feast of Tabernacles? It is all over the Bible where they would hide in his tabernacle. They would dwell. They, these words are, co are common. Then we're going to get into John, and we're going to see what was it that Yeshua did during that time when, we, when, we, uh, when it was time to celebrate tabernacles and what it meant when he came in the first place. So we're going to just, we're just going to read. We're just going to go through these scriptures for us to get acquainted tonight. Okay? okay? So I wanted to pop this resource up just because I want us to, I'm not sure how far I want to get into this, but I want us, if we are to govern the times and the seasons, then we need to know the times and the seasons. Yeah. So this is why we talk about day and night season. Last week I brought this resource up where it's also seed time, harvest time. You're starting to understand agriculture. You're starting to understand the earth you live in. It's not just about your job and going to bed and being in your home, but it's about understanding earth's 
times and season and, and, what it, and what is happening. And so you've got the Gregorian calendar on the inside. You've got the Hebrew calendar on the outside. Okay, you guys can see that. Um, and what this is showing is basically what it says in the scriptures you're supposed to honor. Everything that's on here is what it says to honor. Basically, there are three major times that you are to celebrate what he celebrated. And that is the spring feast, the summer feast, and then the fall feast. Within those feasts, there's a couple more. So that's where we get the seven, and we've gone through the menorah and the candle and the lampstand and all that. There's so much here. But um, but there's basically three times in the year. And notice, and I, and, and I know that we know this, but I just want to keep saying it. Nowhere on there is Easter. Nowhere on there is Christmas. Nowhere on there is Halloween. <laughs> but what's interesting is I say those holidays and you know exactly when they are. Yeah. But if we say Pesach or if we say Shavuot or yeah. if we say Hanukkah, yeah. especially when it's a Hebrew calendar and it's not the same every year. Does that sound familiar? We don't know the times and the seasons. Yeah. But yet you do. Yeah. But it's not necessarily this. So, so, uh, so basically we've got, we're going to go to the first of the month, which is, around March, April. It's when spring happens. That is the biblical new year. That is when he told the Israelites, you get to start over. That's why we don't really say Rosh Hashanah. Or, I mean, there is the, the, the civil year changes, so we are in 5784, but biblically, the first month of the year is in Nisan, which is why it gets confusing, because right now we're in the seventh month, which is still super cool because we're starting something yeah. in the seventh month, which is completion. It's Shabbat. It's the month yeah. of rest. It, I mean, the weeks, it just all, it all ties together. And so, uh, so we've got the, the spring feast and you can see that you've got uh, Passover. Notice how the line in Passover is not at the beginning of the month. And then you've got the feast of unleavened bread and then the counting of the Omar starts. And then you've got Shavuot and all of that, We've understood because we do it every year and we remember those times. What happened, just, I don't mean the whole story, but Passover, we know Passover, right? Egypt, the blood, firstborn son, faith, okay? He fulfilled Passover when he became the Passover lamb. Yeah, yeah. It is finished. Yeah. He fulfilled that. So when we honor that feast, we are remembering our ancestors, what they called forward when it had not yet been fulfilled. Right. Right. Don't forget that before the blood on the on the doorpost, there was still times and seasons, and you have to read into it to study it, but Abraham and Isaac and all of that all has a time, and when you find out that Isaac was about to be um, slaughtered, it was during Passover. It wasn't Passover at the time, but you, they know the Hebrew calendar. So when you look into these things, you can start to see patterns that all of a sudden don't just go away because we're 2,000 years post-Yeshua. Yeah, yeah. If there was a pattern then, there's going to be a pattern now. And there was multiple things that happened during this time. So it's interesting that Passover actually happened on Nisan 14. The, the doorpost actually happened on Nisan 14. Yeah. Okay. He actually died on Nisan 14. This should be exciting. <laughs> It's, Jacob, are you being sarcastic? Yes. <laughs> I think that 
that, if he can do that, then when it says he's coming back, don't you think he's on one of those little lines up there? It's not a, I wonder. Here, take it, Dwayne, get a dart. (laughs) And let's all subject ourselves to the wind of doctrine. There's prophecies out there that say it's going to happen in blah, 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 right? We don't. If it ain't on that little line, I'm not listening. Okay. He actually died on Passover. He actually rose on first fruits. That actually happened. So there's two things that you're celebrating when we get to remember. Okay. Shavuot. Mount Sinai. The law was given. Actually happened on that date. I think it says uh, Sisvan 6 and 7. You think? Shavuot. Either way, count 49 days, 50 days. Actually 50 days. After they left Egypt, it was actually 50 days. And then this crazy thing happens where they're shaking and trembling and something falls on the people. And then all of a sudden Yeshua dies on Nisan 14 and then he rises on first fruits and then actually 50 days later, Ruach, the shaking and the trembling happens on Nisan, not on July 12th. It was on it was on Saban 6 and 7. That actually happened. And our role... Essentially, when you come on this earth, is to remember where you came from. It's to remember who you are so you can govern what he gave you. That's our whole role. It's not to get saved. It's not, it's not to do an altar. It's not to get unsinful. It's not to be clean. You will get clean. You, it will... Your job or your your whole existence is to remember where you came from so you can govern what he gave. Yep. Okay. Part of how do you remember? You follow his people and you start to dig. What did they do? What do I need to do? Right? You're remembering who you are. And then you're trying to figure out now, now that I know who I am, what am I supposed to do with myself? There's a purpose, right? It's not just to fill the earth. Yeah. Okay. So Shavuot, is it making sense? To yes. jump forward, Acts actually happens on that day. You can you you can read it. It's actually 50 days. So cool. Okay. So then after Shavuot, you go through you go through these months, and all of a sudden you get to the seventh month, and Yom Teruah is on. The very beginning of that month, the reason why I said notice Passover, it's because Yom Teruah, the, the, the Feast of Shouting, is the only feast that actually happens at the beginning of the month, which is why we follow the moon. So that's why we actually don't know the time and the day, but we do know. Okay? So during Yom Teruah, Yom Kippur, and Tabernacles actually happened in the wilderness. Okay, so after they receive the law and they're wandering around, there's a time in the fall where he tells them to build booths. And they have to live in these booths because they're temporary dwellers as they're wandering around into the promised land. This is before the promised land. Did did you guys hear that? They were asked 
to dwell before the promised land. There's some things that are coming that will be our promised land while yeah. we're wandering around on this earth. Yeah. And he's going to tell you uh, to do some things. Yeah. Okay, during this time, tabernacles is actually a thing. They build booths and they live in those booths. And he taber and he tabernacled with, with them in the sense of that they had provision. He was with them. Okay, that's an actual thing. I'm trying to think of where I want to go with this. Now, I don't have time to get into this. I've taught on it. But the second thing that has happened is he did come and dwell and tabernacle among us. It's not as easy. Some of the other ones are like plain as day. I mean, just read your scripture. I mean, the date's right there. Count out the days. It's a done deal. There's some debate on some things on this, but from my studies and from what I've researched, this is when he came on the earth. This is his birthday. Tabernacles. Look at Hanukkah. In the ninth month, which is the the Feast of Lights, and look at how many months later, what probably happened during Hanukkah. And that you can study because you know the time if you look at how pregnant Elizabeth was. So six, and I... I've already, I've already taught on this, but I just want to remind you, I'm getting to this point. This part gets a little bit harder because some of this prophecy. But all of this actually has happened, is what I'm getting at. So if you map out at the time that Elizabeth was pregnant and Mary meets up with her, and you understand when Elizabeth's husband was a priest at the time he served in the temple and you count six months from there and then you count nine months from there, you'll be able to figure out when he was born. And it was not in December. It was during Tabernacles. So the thought is, is that during Hanukkah, conception happened. And then nine months later, he was born during Tabernacles. So it was fulfilled in the sense that he came. But is it done? He's coming back. So... If Passover was fulfilled, meaning it is finished, and Shavuot is fulfilled because Ruach did come, there is a second coming that is going to happen during Tabernacles. So we get to be part of the era that is in between three feasts. Two have been fulfilled, one has not. Just like our ancestors were once prior to all of the feasts. And we're only doing it out of his commands. And then all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah. they all they had was yeah. faith. At least we got it easy. Yeah. We have our ancestors who went through it twice. Yeah. There's at least proof for all yeah. of us naysayers that right. needed the proof. Yeah. Right. Our ancestors didn't even have Passover yet. Yeah. They didn't even have Egypt. They just had to trust. Yeah. They were just told to do it. Now we're being told to do tabernacles. At least we've got some backup. Yeah. Same with Shavuot, right? It's, it's the same thing. I mean, these crazy people waited in Jerusalem. But they also had something backing them up that they knew Mount Sinai had happened. But what about all the Israelites sitting at the bottom of Mount Sinai? Idol worshiping. Okay. All right. I think that that might be all that I want to get into that. Does anybody have any questions on that part?
So when we go into the fall feast, we are remembering that there was a tabernacling. We're also going to remember that he tabernacled among us. So as much effort as we put into Christmas morning, this is this is how we're supposed to look at tabernacles because this is the time. Yeah. If we claim that all of our celebration was because of his birth and now we actually know when he was born, then all of then here we go. Okay? Okay. So yes, that's all I want to say about that. Now Yom Teruah is uh, is an is an interesting thing just to add when I talk about the the fall feast. Yom Teruah essentially there is a level of uh, Teruah every month because the priest every month always has to raise a shout to the people to let them know that the month started over again. So, but Yom Teruah starts the seventh month. So there's something in it, and it's a different call. It's a different sound, which is why we remember and we practice because a different sound is going to come. But really, every month you can practice the shift of the moon, the shift of the month. And I say that because there's this powerful thing that he that he tells us to celebrate the three feasts, but he also tells us that along with the three feasts all year long is Shabbat. The holy convocations and the things that you are to celebrate are Shabbat every single week and the three feasts. That is how that is how important Shabbat is. That's how important every week is because that is just as when he told you to govern the times and the seasons, he's not just talking about the three appointed feasts. He's talking about his Shabbat every single week. All right. Does anybody have any questions on that kind of review to just understand the feast? Go ahead. I just want to make a comment. Yep. Um, I'm just thinking, like, looking at this and, like, as you're learning these orders, like, who's going to govern, you feel like you're looking clearly to see where the king has governed and who has not, and he's yeah. got the chains of the end of the season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you live in that, you have not understood. That's crazy. And it's just, like, so clear yeah. when you learn the correct, like, his purpose of meaning, and then you look how much the session and he has. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's what he's talking about when we're talking about governing. It's hard either way because something's right. governing you. Right. Yeah. So if this is freaking us out because we have to govern something, you've been governed yeah. by a calendar up until this point regardless. Yeah. So so this, this begins to awaken some things. And that's what he's uh, you know talking about when he's saying, how did you say it? Leaving a pharaoh or leaving a system it's that kind of system you know it's one thing to leave a system on like a pagan holiday it's another to leave a system when you're told what the times and the seasons are supposed to be doing and what you're supposed to be celebrating and how you're supposed to be celebrating it and what that means to then govern it because a lot of times it's like we're just celebrating but ultimately Mm -hmm. you're governing it right if somebody if if somebody says you know i want you to do like if a teacher says, I need you to help Rena do this, the moment I step in to partner with that and help her do that and take that on, I'm essentially governing that situation. The moment I own something as something that I need to do, I am governing. I'm not just, well, I, you know, it's what we do. And yes, it can be what we do, but ultimately then you're governing that. And, it, and then when you like she said, when you know how powerful that is, then then you also know what governing in general can do. Yeah. 
Um, all right, so we're going to start reading. All right, so the first, the first um, scripture I'm in is uh, Exodus 23, 14 through 17. Exodus 23, 14 through 17. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know why I said, did I say Exodus 23? Okay. All right. I'm in Exodus 1. I'm like, that does not make any sense. <laughs> Exodus 23, 14. I'm getting used to this new app since we're going to be using it. All right. So Exodus very clearly. This is just right after Genesis. We're not like too far into anything. Nothing too crazy has gone on, right? We just we're just outside of Genesis. We're in we're in the 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 book of Exodus. We know that the title of Exodus is leaving one system and going into another. And right smack in the middle of this instruction. It's interesting when you place yourself in this place. You're a group of people that was in one structure leaving another. I might want to read the middle of Exodus to see what's going on. Oh, the three harvest festivals. Okay. Mm-hmm. So 14 through 17. Three times in the year. Three times in the year you are to celebrate a festival for me. Maybe this is going to take me all night because I thought I'm just going to read and I think I'm just going to get hit every time I see something. <laughs> you are to observe the feast of the feast of matzo for seven days. You will eat. This is the feast of unleavened bread. I'm kind of going through this as a review, as I commanded you, at the time appointed in the month of Aviv, for that is when you come out from Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Also, you are to observe the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors. All of that up to that point is the spring feast. Feast of unleavened bread, uh, Passover, and uh, first fruits, okay? The first fruits of your labors that you sow in the field, as well as the feast of the ingathering. The feast of the ingathering is tabernacles, okay? Feast of the ingathering at the end of the year. When you gather your crops from the field, three times in the year, all your men are to appear before Adonai Elohim. So I just want to stop right there. Three times a year you're going to appear. That's something significant to just grab a hold of. All right. Then we're going to move on to Leviticus. Leviticus 1. Sorry, Leviticus 23. You guys are going to have to bear with me. I was kind of everywhere, and I'm like, I don't know which part. Leviticus uh, 23, and I think I'm going to do... Honestly, just from verse 1, and we're just going to go through it because I think I want to go all the way through verse 44. So basically, just Leviticus chapter 23 is really important. Now, remember, remember, Exodus is giving the bare, the way I read it. Exodus is kind of giving the overall structure of some things. Leviticus gets into the details, okay? The title is Biblical Feasts. Then Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to B'nai Israel and tell them, These are the appointed Moedim of Adonai, which, remember, he mentioned in Genesis, which you are to proclaim to be a holy convocation, my Moedim. Whose? His. Not Judah's. Not the God of the Jews. His. Okay? Work may be done six days, but the seventh day is Shabbat of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You are to do no work. It's Shabbat to Adonai in all your dwellings. This is basically a biblical feast. This is what I was talking about. There's three feasts in the year that's supposed to be set apart, but every Shabbat is also supposed to be set apart. That's how important this is. This is a biblical feast for him. 
Then it goes into Pesach and the feats of Matzot. I'm going to skip over that just because we're not going over Passover. The very next chapter goes over Shavuot, right, in a row. There's not a lot of digging here. This is... Fall festivals. Adonai spoke to Moses saying, speak to B'nai Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, most of us don't know the seventh month of the first day of the month. Well, the seventh month and the first day of the month was uh, nine days ago, eight days ago, seven days ago. Sorry, it was the last Friday, seven days ago. It was a week ago. That was the first day. That was the seventh month, the first day. All right. It says you are to have a Shabbat, a memorial of blowing, a holy convocation. You are to do no regular work and you are to present an offering made by fire to Adonai. Adonai spoke to Moses saying, however, the 10th day of the seventh month. When is the 10th day of the seventh month? If the first day was seven days ago. Monday. So. Adonai spoke, uh, spoke, um, spoke to Moses saying, however, the 10th day of the seventh month is Yom Kippur. So the fall feasts are comprised of Yom Teruah. Ten days later is, you've got the ten days of awe. You have Yom Kippur. Five days later, tabernacles. The reason why this is important, because if he's going to tabernacle among us, then it's on the 15th day after Yom Teruah. Which is why we do a 10-day countdown, 10 days of awe, Yom Kippur is a, is, a, is a huge thing. We really focused on that this last year, and this year we're going to really focus on uh, tabernacles. So, but again, this is just kind of review. However, the 10th day of this month, Yom Kippur, a holy convocation, you are, you are to afflict yourselves. You are to bring an offering made by fire to Adonai. You are not to do any kind of work on that set day, for it is Yom Kippur, to make atonement for you before Adonai your God. For anyone who does not deny himself on that day must be cut off from his people. Anyone who does any kind of work on that day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You should do no kind of work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Hmm. It's a statute until Yeshua comes. Throughout half the generations in some of your dwellings. No. <laughs> It is to be a Shabbat of solemn rest. You are to humble your souls on the 10th day of the month in the evening. From evening until evening, you are to keep your Shabbat. Adonai spoke to Moses saying, speak to B'nai Israel and say, on the 15th day of the seventh month is the feast of Sukkot for seven days to Adonai. On the first day, there will be a holy convocation. You are to do no laborious work. For seven days, you are to bring an offering by fire to Adonai. The eighth day will be a holy convocation to you and you are to bring an offering by fire to Adonai. This is a solemn assembly. You should do no laborious work. These are the Moedim of Adonai, which you are to proclaim to be a holy convocation, to present an offering by fire to Adonai, a burnt offering, a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, each on its own day, besides those of the um, Shabbat of Adonai, and besides your gifts, all your vows and all your freewill offerings, which you give to Adonai. So on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruits of the land, you are to keep the feast of Adonai for seven days. The first day is to be a Shabbat rest, and the eighth day will be a Shabbat rest. On the first day, you are to take choice fruits of trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before Adonai your God for seven days. You are to celebrate it as a festival to Adonai for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it in the seventh month. You, I, He's kind of honing in on something. <laughs> you are to live in a Sukkot for seven days. 
All the native born in Israel are to live in a Sukkot so, there, so that your generations may know that I had B'nai Israel to dwell in a Sukkot when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Adonai your God. So Moses declared to B'nai Israel the Moedim of Adonai. Basically, Leviticus is 23, telling the people, the sons of Israel, which we have already studied, we are the sons of Israel. That was another whole deception that you're the church and you're separated right. and all that stuff, which is replacement theology, but yeah. being sons of Israel and that, that he is your God, that this is the appointed feast. Now, I understand that I'm reading a lot of details that are like, so we're supposed to do burnt offerings and... This is what we don't know. But what I do know is that there's something that we're to do for seven days that's to honor him and to celebrate him. Yeah. And and the thing the thing that's hard is if, if I was to teach a foreign country about the Christmas tree, it would feel the same way. Like if they didn't know and I read this whole storyline of what you were to do and you have to go shopping and you have to spend tons of money and you have to go cut down a tree and you have to decorate and then you have to bake and you have to have cookies and you have to have a countdown for 31 days. And, and if I said all this stuff, it would be like, this is impossible. So just breathe. We're just getting acquainted that there's something going on that requires his attention that we need to pay attention to. Okay. All right. I'm going to go on to numbers. Do you have numbers? No. Man, you are horrible. Right <laughs> I am in order. order. Number notes. three. You numbers. skipped that one. Oh, I didn't. I just did Leviticus. I know that's number five. What? <laughs> oh, well, no wonder. Numbers. Um, oh, this is going to be a hard one. Yeah, numbers 29. And I think I'm going to read all this. Now, I'm just going to read it, and you're going to go nuts. It's all right. Just, we're just going to read it. Yom Teruah, day of shofar shouts. Mm. Actually, I'm going to skip down. But again, it's very, it's very itemized. You've got the first fall feast, you've got Yom Kippur, and now you've got Sukkot. So we're going to, we're just going to read this. On the, on the 15th day of the seventh month, you are to have a sacred assembly. You are not to do any of your work, and you are to celebrate the feast to Adonai for seven days. You are to offer a burnt offering by fire to Adonai as a pleasing aroma. Thirteen young bulls from the herd, two rams, and fourteen-year-old male lambs without defect. Their grain offerings of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah with each of the thirteen, thirteen bulls, two-tenths with each of the two rams, and one-tenth with each of the fourteen lambs, plus one male goat as a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offerings with its grain and drink offering. On the second day, you are to offer twelve young bulls from the herd, two rams, and fourteen-year-old male lambs without flaw, with their grain and drink offerings, with the bulls, rams, and lambs as appropriate by their number according to the regulations, plus one male goat as a sin offering as well as a regular burnt offering with its grain and drink offerings. On the third day, offer 11 bulls, two rams, and 14-year-old male lambs without defect with their grain and drink offerings, with the bulls, rams, and lambs, the number specified, and a male goat as a sin offering in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain and drink offerings. On the fourth day, 10 bulls, two rams, and 14-year-old male lambs without flaw, their grain offerings and drink offerings with the bulls, rams, and lambs by their number according to the regulations. And one male goat as a sin offering and the regular burnt offering with its grain and drink offerings. On the fifth day, 
Nine bowls, two rams, 14 male, <laughs> one year old without defects, with their grain and drink offerings by their numbers specified, and one goat for sin offering in addition to the regular burnt offerings. Offering its grain and drink offerings on the sixth day, eight bulls, two rams, and fourteen male lambs as a year old, with a, with uh, without defect, with bulls, rams, and lambs, and their grain and drink offerings according to their those numbers specified, and one goat for a sin offering with the regular burnt offerings and its grain and drink offerings on the seventh day. Seven bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs without defect, a year old, plus their grain and drink offerings for the bulls, rams, and lambs, according to the number specified, in addition to male goat for a sin offering and the regular burnt offerings and grains and drink offering. On the eighth day, there shall be for you an assembly. You are to do no regular work. You are to offer to Adonai a burnt offering, a fire offering, a pleasing aroma, one bull, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old without defect, their grain and drink offerings with the bull, ram, lamb, and corresponding to the numbers according to the regulations, and a goat for a sin offering besides regular burnt offerings with the grain and drink offerings. You are to prepare these for Adonai at your Moedim in addition to your vow and free will offerings, along with your burnt offerings, grain offerings, drink offerings, fellowship offerings. <laughs> okay. All I want to point out, if we don't get this, you will never appreciate what Yeshua did. Okay? You will never know what he came for, and it would be a horrible thing. To live your entire life and say, I've been saved and never understand exactly what was happening yeah. during that time, why that time, yeah. when that time, and what everything meant. Yeah. Okay. The other thing that I want to present is that these Moedim are his. And we have, this is what I'm talking about, extreme obedience. Remember when I talked about extreme, or what was the word? Excessive, Excessive obedience. We have pendulum swing to, I don't need to do a damn thing. He did it all, and I just can receive everything. <laughs> to not understanding what it is that we, that what it is that he desires from us. I, I, I think, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to portray this, because as I was reading this, I was extremely um, humbled. I know. I know. For some, it may send you down a theological doctrine of it. Can we even do this? And is it relevant? There's no temple, and do I really have to get a bowl? And I think at the end of the day, let it knock you on your face, because these are his moedim, and I've never even known when those times came. And have completely dismissed it and put all of my effort in another governing system. I put just as much effort. <laughs> I, Christmas morning, you might as well read all those things. Go get your one bowl, your one this, your one that, your offering. That you know, like I, I have put so much effort into a governing system. When I read this, it's like after everything that he has done for us it's almost like you could read this and have this attitude of like all of that or that is the least i can do yeah so when 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 and, and i'm gonna just make this real because i like i said i don't know i seven year old man i don't i don't know but when derek is saying we're gonna give a first fruits offering and all of us just kind of just take his voice and go like this and be like what are we preparing for what's happening on saturday yeah 
when Derek is saying we are presenting a first fruits offering and we're struggling yeah. with the whatever may be coming forward of what does that mean? Read this. Yeah. Because don't forget, these males traveled miles yeah. to take all of this to dwell with their people. They didn't come empty-handed. It says, do not come to my Moedim empty-handed. Could we at least just gather from that? If I don't know what all this means, can I just at least come that I'm not empty-handed? Am I still going to come with, well, what about this? And what about that? And I don't know. And what are we doing? Or could I come with not, don't let me be empty-handed? Does that make it like what I got from this was just this humbling of like, these people... Like, they did that, and they traveled with all of that, and they brought their best without defect. You couldn't just pick out the crappy one and leave the rest for your family. It had to be without defect, and they had to travel with all of that to present something. And, and, and I don't think we understand that as a people. I don't think as a people we understand what presenting yeah. even our hearts anymore. Yeah. Because even if I just equate that to like presenting my heart, I'm like, man, that's a lot of layers. Yeah. What is a ram? If I'm the temple, what does a sacrifice of a ram in me mean? What does what does a lamb mean? What does? Yeah. And then it says, do all this on top of your vows. Yeah. Some of us have a hard time with just a vow. Right. right. A free will offering. Right. You know, where we don't want to bring anything, let alone like, well, don't touch the the my vows. Yeah. So. Like I said, I'm reading it for the purpose of just being able to understand that when he says, don't come empty handed, that this would humble us, that this was actually our ancestry, where where people had to travel to bring these things. That's how um, intentional they had to be. That's how equipped they had to be. They would raise and do things all year long. This is their things. They didn't go shopping. This was this is their this is theirs and then they would travel with it and they would bring it and then they would do it together as a people. And there's something in that when it says in Psalms that commanded blessings fall on those who dwell in unity. What do you think he's talking about? Singing a worship song together? No. When people have to bring their things that they had to raise for years without defect. And then bring it to sacrifice it just because you're thankful and you love him because he doesn't want you to come empty handed because it's it's a way for us to be able to govern a feast. But it's a way for us to be able to. I mean, this is where he commands you to be in joy and to be in. um, It's a festival. So he's giving you some instructions. Well, what what do you think they feasted on? I mean, it's just like when they were in Egypt, there was some strict instructions about what to do with the lamb. And so, but but if you don't understand what was happening with the lamb, then you don't understand who was the lamb, and 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 what he had to go through, yeah. and and what even a burnt offering is. What is that pleasing aroma? If yeah. we really don't understand sacrifices, because we say, well, he's the final sacrifice, so all right. that's null and void. Yeah. Even if it doesn't look like we're actually doing it, if we don't understand what a sacrifice is, then I don't know if we understand what a burnt offering was and what is what was happening when he became that pleasing aroma. So, just going to read numbers. <laughs> 
but what I what I, I felt like the most emotion come out of this one because I just thought I guess what I mean by being humbled is I know that we've only tapped into the feast for like the last couple of years, but I, I don't I, I don't I don't even know if I necessarily know where the emotion is, but I'm thankful that we get to figure this out as a family that we would actually honor yeah. Yom Kippur and set up a bed, yeah. the cots. Yeah. Because it might not be this, but something happens when I choose to afflict myself. Because how many years did I just, I ain't going to fast. Yeah. He freed mm-hmm. me from that. I don't need to afflict myself. I can yeah. dabble in whatever I want because it's all his grace. Yeah. And, it, and, and again, we're not afflicting ourselves because you have to be afflicted for salvation. Because remember the beginning of this whole thing. I'm not concerned about salvation. I'm concerned about you remembering and governing. Right. So I'm not concerned about where you're going after this or not. So it's not even a debate whether or not you need to do it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It takes right. you out of the complete battlefield. It yeah. doesn't matter if you do it or not because I don't care about heaven and hell. I care about right now. And I care about whether or not you remember what you were called to do. And if you are able to govern what you were called to do. Mm-hmm. It's a whole yeah. different ball game. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah. And so it's like, I'm not afflicting myself on Yom Kippur because it's my only way to salvation, but it's because of salvation that if there's just one day, right. just mm-hmm. one day that I could choose to actually not eat for 24 hours and afflict myself to focus completely on him because he took one day. He is the atonement for my sins. But if I don't understand what atonement feels like, I don't care what he did. Yeah. And I become entitled. Right, right. So I'm not saying that we have to do Yom Kippur because that's our only way to him. It's because of him that I want to um, take joy in his sufferings. Does that, does that, does that, I just want to make sure that when I'm reading all this that I'm from the right filter. <laughs> all right. Sorry, and it just humbles me because I don't know how many years I just... Tabernacles? I don't know. I don't know what all that is. Or you know what I mean? You just kind of... Yeah. Um, Okay. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 16. Oh, man. This one's good. Uh, Deuteronomy 16, I think I'm going to read 1 through 18. I'm just going to pause on a couple of things. Um, well, I'm going to skip down again. This is all review because it's all three harvests. So it goes through, um, you know, what to do during Pesach. It goes through what to do during uh, seven weeks. It talks about Shavuot. I think I'm at verse 13. Yeah, because it ends on verse 12. You will remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you are to take care and do these statutes. Verse 13. You are to keep the feast of Sukkot for seven days after gathering in the produce from your threshing floor and wine press. So you will, because remember, this is the beginning of the harvest season. So uh, seed time has all been happening and now we have harvest time. Remember, and then that's why Dee was talking about the pomegranates because it's a representation of the fruit. Remember, we've talked about the propheticness of Pesach was the um, the wheat. The it was the anyways. We've talked about this, but it was the wheat harvest. 
it's for everyone. It's very it's very easy in, in that sense. And then you have Shavuot. It's the barley harvest. Now you have to do something with that. There's the bread. Well, now we're coming into the fall feast, which is all about the fruit. But if you understand that prophetically, who are what's his fruit? It's his people. So there's something about harvest time that we're talking about when he says that he's going to dwell with us, that this is where the ingathering of his people come. This is why this matters when you understand Revelations and Yom Teruah and what it means to walk through the gate and what's going to happen. Because this is not just when he dwells, but this is the this is the fruit feast. This is where the remnant is together. Okay. You are to keep the feast of Sukkot for seven days uh, after gathering in the produce from your threshing floor and wine press. So you will rejoice in your feast. You, your son, and your daughter, slave, maid, Levite, outsider, orphan, and widow within your gates. Seven days you will feast to Adonai your God in, in the place he... This is amazing. Seven days you will feast to Adonai your God in the place he chooses. Because Adonai your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hand, and you will be completely filled with joy. You read that when you know what's to come. Three times a year, all your males are to appear before Adonai, your God, in the place he chooses. He says that again. And the feast of Matzot, the feast of Shavuot, and the feast of Sukkot. No one should appear before Adonai empty-handed. The gift of each man's hand, according to the blessing Adonai, your God, has given you. It's just extremely powerful. He yeah. is going to place you where he chooses, and yeah. we are not going to come empty-handed. Yeah, good. All right, that's Deuteronomy. Um, yeah, let's go to Second Chronicles. This is just a reference. I'm just going to read it really quick. I'm in Second Chronicles, I believe it's 8.13. Um, this is just a reference that Solomon is trying to figure it out as well. I'm going to start at verse 12. At the time, Solomon offered burnt, burnt offerings to Adonai at the altar of Adonai, which he had built before the porch, according to the daily requirement for offerings commanded by Moses for Shabbat, for new moons, and for the Moedim three times a year, at the feats of Matzot, the feats of Shavuot, and the feats of Sukkot. Following the ordinance of his father David, he appointed the divisions of the Kohanim. All this is is a reference that Solomon was also, after his father David, was honoring Shabbat and the free feast. So again, it's just a reference how it's not just the Israelites, but then Solomon is, is talking about how he had to um, fulfill what Moses said. Okay? Um, let's go to Ezra. These are my favorite. Besides the renewed covenant. <laughs> I'm in Ezra 3. And if anybody just wants help during the, all this, Yahweh moving you from one thing, from one system to the next, then I suggest you get your hands on Ezra. I'm serious. Like if you need tangible help, his name means that y'all will help you in transition. And his name is prophetic. So if you need help, I suggest you get your hands on him. Um, so I'm in Ezra 3, and I'm just going to read 1 through 7. Rebuilding the temple. Sound familiar? And regardless of physical or not, just in if I am the holy temple, 
Is there not a rebuilding in me? Yeah. A rebuilding from one structure that didn't work yeah. into a structure that's his. Okay, so there's a rebuilding process. When the seventh month arrived, this is a long time after all this. After everything we just read, this is a long time later. Okay? When the seventh month arrived, isn't that just powerful? Months actually just arrived. <laughs> Like a like a friend that knocks on your door, they're here. It's a different concept yeah. of, oh, you know. Yeah. When the seventh month arrived and the sons of Israel were settled in the towns, the people gathered together as one man in Jerusalem. Hmm. Then Jeshua, son of Josadak, I don't know, his fellow uh, Kohanim, uh, Zerubbabel, oh my gosh, the son of Sheila, whatever, and his associates, <laughs> and his associates began, isn't that funny, his associates, I know. began to build the altar of the God of Israel, uh, Israel, the or, uh, in order to offer burnt offerings uh, on it as written in the Torah of Moses, the man of God. They set up the altar on its fixed resting place despite their fear of the, uh, am I reading the right one? Hold on. Yeah, I think I am. Both the morning and the evening sacrifices, they also kept, okay, they also kept the Feast of Sukkot as it is written and offered the prescribed number of daily burnt offerings according to the requirement of each day. So here's a group of people that are beginning to learn how to do this. They're reading it and they're in the process of building and this is their story. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the sacred Moedim of Adonai, as well as the free will offerings. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to Adonai, though the foundation of the temple of Adonai had not been laid. So they gave money to the stonemasons and carpenters and food, beverages, and oil, and to, the, to bring cedar trees. Anyways, all of that to say, it's just interesting that they were like, well... We don't really we don't really know what to do and we don't have a temple so we'll give money to the contractors. <laughs> I just feel like that kind of sounds like that could be us. Right? It's like, well, do we burn a ram? Well, I don't know, but maybe Coulter Electric needs to be paid. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just there's something about this that is comforting. <laughs> That a group of people are like, okay, well, we're reading this thing and it tells us to do it. So we're just going to for seven days. And then, you know, then they run into like, well, we don't know what to do with this. So we gave money to the stonemasons and carpenters and food and beverages and oil to bring cedar trees from the Sea of Lebanon. In the second month of the second year, I mean, it's just, anyways. All right, so there's Ezra. Nehemiah. I'm in Nehemiah 8. Oh, yeah. Ezra reads the Torah. <laughs> I'm just going to start with verse 1. Then all the people were brought as a single body. They said to Ezra the scribe, bring out the Torah scroll. He brought the Torah. I'm going to go down to verse 11. Ezra opens up the scroll. I'm in verse 5. In the sight of all the people, they're all saying amen, amen. They lifted up their hands. Nehemiah, the governor, um, all right, I'm in verse 11. Then the Levites quieted. Well, I'll do it verse 10. So he said to them, go, eat choice food, drink sweet drinks, and send portions to those who have nothing ready, for today is uh, kodash to our Lord. 
Do not grieve, for the joy of Adonai is your strength. Then the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Hush, for today is Kodash. Do not grieve. So all the people departed to eat and drink, to send portions and to celebrate, because they came to understand the words that were explained to them. I say that because there was joy. When he says that there's commanding to joy, these people were amening that the Torah was just read. And that they were celebrated with great joy because they were coming to understand. And I just think that that's super powerful. Um, I'm going to go on to verse uh, 18 because then you go on to verse 13. On the second day, the heads of the families along with the Kohanim and the Levites gathered around Ezra to ponder the words of the Torah. They found written in the Torah. This is what is so powerful to me. They found written in the Torah that Adonai had commanded through Moses the B'nai Israel should dwell in a Sukkot. I just love that scripture because that brings so much comfort to me. They were just reading the Torah. That's all they were doing. They started to get a little bit of joy because some understanding came. Then they began to ponder the Torah. And in the midst of pondering, they happened to find written that they were supposed to dwell in a Sukkot during the feast of the seventh month so that they should proclaim and spread the message in all their towns and in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hill country and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches and branches of other leafy trees to make a Sukkot just as it is written. So the people went out and brought branches and made Sukkot for themselves, each on their own roof in their courtyards, in the courtyards of the house of God, in the plaza before the water gate and in the plaza of the Ephraim gate. The entire assembly who had returned from captivity the entire assembly who had returned from the captivity made a Sukkot and dwelt in the Sukkot. Since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, Benezreel had not done it. And there was a, uh, there was the joy, or oh my gosh, and the joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the scroll of the Torah. So they kept the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, according to the regulation, there was a solemn assembly. I don't know why, but that just, I hope that this helps us go into next weekend. We're reading the Torah. (laughs) We're getting some joy. We're starting to get some understanding, and we just happen to stumble. Uh, We're supposed to be dwelling for seven days in the seventh month. What do we do? So they did it. They, They did it. And it was to bring a great message. And it talks about one body. And then day after day, they just kept reading from the Torah. Isn't that powerful? Uh, remember, Nehemiah and Ezra, uh, when you just look at it, you know, when you're reading it, there's um, you've got to look at the chronological side of it because Ezra was the, the scribe and the one who was teaching, and Nehemiah was the governor. So you get different perspectives when you read Ezra and Nehemiah, but that whole concept right there is when the people um, began to recognize that they had not known about the Torah and had were not obedient to it and then started to follow it. All right. Um, we doing okay on time? How are you guys doing? Good. I know this is a lot with just reading. I'm going to read Zechariah. And I am in chapter 14, 12 through 9. 12 through what? I mean, sorry, 12 through 19. <laughs> um. Okay, so I'm going to read Zechariah, but then I'm going to read Psalms. 
so it's going to be okay. But I, I'm just wanting to paint a picture, kind of going through really quickly what the what happened during the Torah, but then what happened during the prophets, and what was it that the prophets were prophesying? Right? Because a lot of the prophets are prophesying the end, but then if you know the beginning, you know the end, and yeah. so you have you can do something about it. So that makes it you're not just you're not just listening to you're not just reading these prophecies and not necessarily like knowing what to do with them. Okay. Now this is the plague with which Adonai will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. It will happen in that day that a great panic from Adonai will seize the hand of his neighbor and they will attack each other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding peoples will be gathered together in abundance of gold, silver, and apparel. A similar plague will strike the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, and all the animals in the camp. Then all the survivors, then all the survivors from all the nations that attacked Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, Adonai Titzvayot, and to celebrate Sukkot. Furthermore, if any of the nations on earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, they will have no rain. If the Egyptians do not go up and celebrate, they will have no rain. Instead, there will be a plague that Adonai will inflict on the nations that do not go up to celebrate Sukkot. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate Sukkot. In that day, holy to Adonai will be inscribed on the bells and the horses and the pots. Of, and it just continues. I read this because there's instructions in the prophecies. I don't know how many times we've been read to from the prophecies, but don't necessarily understand what it means. But now this has meaning to me because when we talk about his protection, his protection comes with those who dwell in the Sukkot. So, I mean, I, 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 am, not, I am not taking the time right now to biblically prophesy. That's not what I'm doing right now. I don't do that. I'm not a... I'm not a and time biblical whatever but all i know is is that there's crazy stuff going on in the world and there are plagues and i had a dream about rotting flesh and i do know people are turning against one another but there are survivors that will travel there are survivors that will understand temporary dwelling and there are survivors that will celebrate sukkot mm -hmm. all right isaiah 4 6. okay I'm in um, Isaiah 4, and a lot of the reason why I'm giving you guys these scriptures is because there's specific words within the scriptures that you can click on and you can get the definition. So not only did I look up all these scriptures to read, I have the words within these scriptures and then blue letter Bibled them because there's a bunch of different words that fall under tabernacles. And, I, and if I've got time, I'm going to get into that, but... Isaiah 4, after Adonai has washed away the fifth of the daughters of Zion and has purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then Adonai will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over her convocations a cloud by day and a smoke and shining of a flaming fire by night. Sound familiar with the wilderness? For over all glory will be a canopy. Then there will be a sukkah for shade by day from the heat and for refuge for the shelter from storm and from rain. There's something about a sukkah we have to understand. We cannot just claim his protection and say this, but not understand that he is old, He is saying there is something about a canopy over you and being under that sukkah. Would that be enough for us to dig into what is a sukkah? Yeah, yeah. 
and 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 what is and what is all of what does all of that mean? All right, Psalms 27, 5. I'm just gonna read two out of Psalms. The title of Psalms 27 is Let Your Heart Take Courage, in case those prophecies were a little crazy. Like tongues rotting in your mouth. Yeah. For in the day of trouble he will hide me in his sukkah. Conceal me in the shelter of his tent and set me high upon a rock. I don't know how many times I've read that scripture. But being able to look into these words and what is a sukkah and what does that mean? And what am I crying out for when I'm crying out for his protection? All right, Psalms 43.3. I'm just going to start a little bit before. For you are my God, my stronghold. Why have you spurned me? Why do I go about gloomy because of the oppression of the enemy? Or it says, why do I go about gloomy because of the oppression of the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Do you guys remember what his light and his truth are? It's the Torah, which is also Yeshua. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain and to your dwelling place. The word dwelling place there happens to be Mishkan. Regina? It's another word for tabernacle or dwelling place. His Torah will be a light to guide me to that holy mountain, to guide us to his dwelling place. He's giving us access to safety and security. It's not a far off. If I pray hard enough, maybe he'll secure me. But there's actually a formula, essentially. So I want to go into those words just a little bit. Um, in Isaiah 4, 6, the word that's actually used is sukkah. If you guys want the, do you guys want the strong concordance? Sure. It's H5521. In Psalms 27, 5, the word is, I'm going to say it wrong, but it's ohel, ohel, and it's H168. <laughs> uh, in Psalms 27, 5, the word for dwelling or whatever the word was that said to, you know, the protection word when you click on it, it's ohel, which both, all of these mean the same thing. It's safety, um, you know, security, dwelling place. In Psalms 43, 3, it's H4. 908, and that's Mishkan. H168. And I could go back and read them, but you, when you go through, and like in this, in um, in Isaiah 43.3, it's talk, the word that I clicked on was dwelling. So the word dwelling there is, the dwelling place is actually, the word is Mishkan. Uh, H4908. And the reason why I think looking up these words are good, because if there's a feast of booths or a feast of ingathering or a feast of tabernacles, then we should know what a tabernacle is. When you start to look up these words, what does tabernacle mean? There's the physical tabernacle, and then there's the action word, which I'm going to go over, of dwelling, which is super powerful, because our entire family's identity has been dwelling not even knowing about tabernacles. 
So you've got the building or the structure of a tabernacle, but then you have the action word of dwelling within that tabernacle. And that's what we're learning and have learned as a family is what does dwelling mean? So, I mean, let me just, I'm just going to read some of the, um, the definitions to these words. They're all pretty much the same, but I'm just going to read them, okay? Dwelling place, abide, establish, settle down, rest, relax, to lie, dwell, remain, sit, abide, to be set, to marry, to be, to be inhabited, stay, a tent, tabernacle, listen to this, human body, movable temple, a vessel, I'm going to read this one, I mean I'm going to read it all, but just pay attention to this one, a man of quality, or an assistant to evil, basically tabernacle, what my vessel, it's a vessel, so it's showing that a tabernacle or a vessel can be used for two yeah. different things. A shadow. We've talked about this in Hebrews where it says that a shadow of things to come. A shadow for a light to go through. An outline. Dwell or live. These words are really powerful. When you study them in context to the, you know, when you say, hide me in your dwelling place, hide me that I may abide, hide me that I may be married, hide me that I may be inhabited, hide me that I may sit down, hide me that I may be settled, hide me that I may be established. Now all of a sudden you've got a lot going on behind that scripture of what is going on with my enemies. Let me be one that is established. You're saying something when you're, you know, when you're crying these out. So um, I want to go into the Renewed Covenant, which I'm going to be in John, which you guys all know is my favorite book. We've talked about this before, um, but again, this word pops up. So the words that I just talked about, Mishkan, Ahel, uh, Sukkah, all of these words are all words that were in all of the scriptures. The exact same word shows up in John, and it's in 114. And it says, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us and established among us and lived among us and abided among us and married among us and inhabited among us and stayed among us, became a human body with skin, became a movable temple, was a vessel, a man of quality among us. That's what happens. And we just glide right all over it. That's his birth. Not recognizing. And you get to activate that birth every single year at his appointed times and feasts to understand what does tabernacling mean when he came. And then if he tells you to do it, what does tabernacling for you mean? To just whimsically not own it? He came to abide, to establish, to marry, to be inhabited. That's what he was doing when he came here. And that's what we get to do. Okay. So this word, tabernacle, here is in Greek, which is skinu, or I'm going to say that, skineo. I think it's skineo. The equivalent to that is yasab. 
I know that this is a lot. This is just kind of how I study. I hope this is okay. This just gives you some stuff to study. There's Mishkan, there's Ohel, there's Sukkah, there's all this stuff. And then in Greek, you've got uh, uh, skenael. Well, the equivalent to that specific word happens to be, um, I'm gonna, I should, I should get Blue Letter Bible up, but it, it, it's Yeshav. Yeshav. No, that's what it is. Yeshav. I didn't get his voice. <laughs> Strong's G423. Yeshav. That's literally how it sounds. Okay, so his, it's the word Yeshav. And it actually comes out of Genesis 4.16. I don't know if that matters, but it was when Cain dwelled. The word is dwell. This is the action to sukkah. So sukkah is a thing. Mishkan is a thing. Temple is a thing. Yeshav is the word dwell in that thing. It's the action word. Okay. So this is the one that talks about uh, inhabited, stay, dwell, remain, sit, abide. What I felt like I wanted to speak over you guys is I decided to uh, just look up the Hebrew letters for Yeshav. And I feel like this is kind of like our word for this for this year, not this for this year, but like this word for tabernacles, because I just thought the action to dwelling with the things that he's been coming up with, um, with dwelling. I just feel like this is super important. So um, basically, the letters are I, I didn't write this down. I just wanted to be able to, like, understand it in the spirit. But the letters are Yod, Shin and Bait. And what I saw with that was that his arm or his hand is going to put pressure mm-hmm. to separate you to get you in the house. Yeah. That is the definition word. of dwell. That is the definition of yeshav. Yeshav, whatever. Yod, shin, bait. His arm... His hand will put the pressure to set you apart to get you in the house and in the family. That's the word that's used in John. He came to use his arms to put the pressure for you to get back in the house. Because he came for the scattered sheep of Israel who had left the house. He did not come for you to feel good and get saved. He came to put the pressure on (laughs) to set you apart to get in the house and be a part of the family. Because you were once orphaned and now adopted. You were once scattered, now I'm drawing a blank on that. United, uh, what's the branch? Crafted in. Thank you. (laughs) You were once cut off and now able to be grafted in. That's that word. That's good. That's really good. Hmm. Yeshab. I'm not going to read it, but just the next scripture is uh, John chapter 7. Basically, the entire chapter talks about tabernacles in his time. And the, what I want to point out is the Feast of Sukkot is happening, just like the Feast of Lights, and we've read how Yeshua went there too. So there's these things that happen that people are like, that's a Jew thing. And it's like, no, it's a Yeshua thing. The only reason why we think it's a Jew thing is because Judah didn't leave the house. 
So we associate their obedience with a Jew thing. But it was not, he is not the God of the Jews. He is not the God of Judah. He is God of all of the 12 tribes. We just were scattered, so we don't know this. Okay, Yeshua honored the Feast of Lights. He also honored tabernacles. So there's four things that I saw. He went. He, remember when I talked about how everyone traveled? He traveled. He went. He also taught in the temple during the tabernacles. So he went into the temple and halfway through tabernacles. is really interesting. There were seven days. That's not like an old thing. And even the time in Yeshua, they didn't know it. They were celebrating tabernacles for seven days. And halfway through tabernacles, he began to teach. So he went and he taught and he stayed until the last day. Because it says on the last day is when he gave that powerful sermon, if you are thirsty. We hear that sermon all the time, but we don't attach it to why did he give it on the last day, a holy convocation on the eighth day. If you're thirsty, drink. Then the other thing that he did, not only did he go, but he told his people because they had asked him to go. And he had said, I'm not going because he wanted to go in secret because of what was happening. So he still honored it, but he didn't know how to handle it because everybody was looking for him there. So he tells everybody, I'm not going to go, but he decides to go. He ends up teaching there, but he tells them, I should just read this, chapter 7. He tells them, you go and you always, it is always for you to go. Let me find it real quick. Verse 6, therefore Yeshua said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always at hand. Does that sound like Yeshua when the year comes up and he doesn't come back? My time has not yet come, but your time is always at hand. Maybe next year. I don't know. I just, I read that and I got like goosebumps all over my body when he said, it's not my time. But he still secretly came and talked. And I just, I feel that in the spirit. Like he's saying, okay, Yom Teruah happened. It's not my time yet, but it's always your time. Yeah. You're always going to celebrate. It wasn't my time. But I'm going to come halfway through. And I'm going to start to teach. And then I'm going to say some crazy thing at the day eight. And you're going to get a crazy revelation. It's going to gear you up for the next year. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just a powerful thing that he, Yeshua, my time has not yet come, but your time is always at hand. Go. Anyway. So you read all of that through, you know, all through the Torah. You've got the prophets, you've got the writings, and then you've got John, this powerful chapter of being able to understand from the renewed covenant side of things. And it all just, it all just ties together. And obviously there is a lot more, but that is what I felt like tonight we were supposed to go over. Obviously I threw out a lot of scriptures. Um, but... Well, not but. There's a lot of scriptures. <clears throat> but as I was studying this, I wasn't even in chapter 7 the way that I'm in right now. So, I would really, I would really just, if, it, if it's, not, not if it's hard, but if it's hard to make it personal, at least what I've, what I've said, when I woke up to the scriptures, 
when I woke up to the scriptures, I woke up to the red writing. I woke up to the, I didn't, I could not read the, I could not read Paul. I could not, I, I could not read Deuteronomy. I could not, I just had to stick to the gospel. If that's where you're at, just stick to the gospel and get into chapter one. Just John 1, 14 will knock you on your feet if you begin to study that word and understand what the action of tabernacling is because that'll send you into, well, if I'm supposed to tabernacle, then what did he tabernacle? What was it that he was doing? Because if he did it once and he's going to fulfill it, then he's giving that blueprint. Then when you get into chapter 7 and you just see how he worked with the people, you'll get insight of what's happening just in that one sentence of, it's not my time, but it's always yours. So when you're walking through these 10 days of awe and you're walking through Yom Kippur and you're walking through these things and we're beginning to learn to govern, we're beginning to understand what he what he equipped us for, what he was what he was telling us to do in a real practical way. So No, that was that was amazing. And that word for Yeshav, that is in just in our perspective of seeing and hearing about what people have been going through over the past couple of weeks, it's exactly that. Through this expansion, he is putting pressure to set you apart. Yeah. Yeah. And even taking this, you know, uh, this this is a lot of information, and it can be overwhelming to try to wrap your head around and understand it all at once. But we don't need to do that. We don't need to understand it all at once. And the beautiful thing about it, if we go back to growing kids, right, we are stepping in with an attitude of yes father and we all we need to do is go through the action and be obedient what was that Um, all we need to do is be obedient to the best of our ability knowing that understanding will come right the the full the fullness of understanding will come as we walk this out and honestly that's how that's how we've gotten to this place because Yahweh says, go here and set up a tent. Ultimately go here. I want to dwell with you in this temporary place. And that's when we begin to understand looking back after we've taken those steps of obedience and you look back, you begin to get greater understanding. So I don't want us to leave here being like, Oh my God, there's no way I can understand all of what she just explained right this instant and we don't have to we just need to get the heart of it and just be obedient to take the steps so step one is next week we're going into coming together as a family dwelling together honoring the feast of tabernacles and saying yes to honoring that feast and seeing what that looks like as a family so I don't want us to get too far ahead of ourselves thinking we got to be scholars and figure everything out at once. Um, they are handing out, is that okay if I used to talk about this a little bit? Um, they're handing out uh, next week's kind of structure agenda that we went over uh, for Tabernacles. Um, in, a, in, a, in a way, I want to just... You guys, okay, you guys all know that we celebrate Pesach, right? Behind the scenes, there is a big old structure 
to try to govern and remember a feast that requires four cups activating all the different aspects you know everything that he you know poured in pours into the, to, to us and so ultimately um this is kind of a very small structure given so that the family can step into that structure well but beyond this structure the family is going to be utilizing this time to build what is it that he's asking us to do as a family as we step into all this and if it's as simple as we go get tree branches and we sit and stare at each other for seven days it doesn't have to be this elaborate it could be we're gonna read the Torah every day and maybe it's stepping out of our comfort zones and we're actually gonna have to get work off or I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. All I know, take a fault. I don't know what's gonna come, but we're just learning how to govern and practice as we move forward in this. So this structure is just to be able to. The elders have come up with this structure for us to be able to kind of step into the day. But this is movable, and especially when you look at between 12 and 3. If you have kiddos, you know, whatever that looks like with playpens or naps, we've got three hours of a governmental meeting where the family's going to come together and really talk about what is it that we want to do for Tabernacles. Now, when I say that, I'm going to read some of this because along with your agendas, you're going to get some prompting questions. We don't want you to come on Saturday and, and be um, not prepared at noon to have a discussion about tabernacles and not be have already been thinking what does this look like what does this look like does that make does that make sense so um i'm just going to actually read all of these if this is okay and then i'm going to give it to you and i want to uh, just be clear about a couple things some of the prompting questions that are at the top are personal they're for self-reflection to position us to get to tabernacles they're not going to, to overtake uh, the governmental meeting from 12 to 3, ironing out those things. Because we need to be a governmental family thinking about, we need to think the way Nehemiah and Ezra were, yeah. where there is a remnant of people yeah. that have to spread the word and we've got to go somewhere. Yeah. So we can't spend that time. Here's a question. Where are you in context of the last night season? Right? We're not going to talk about where you, where John is at with the last night season. But I want him to know where he's at with the last night season to be prepared to govern a meeting. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay? Um, are you fully committed to embracing Yahweh's instructions? Number two, what has my perception of governing been? What does it mean to govern? Is there anything in me that would keep me from owning a feast? If so, what are those hindrances and how do we move through those as a family? So those are kind of like homework throughout the week to really prepare us. One easy way to tap into this is to really start studying Yom Kippur. Um, remember, it's, it's that work that's being done. Because after that day of atonement, it's five days moving into celebration. You're preparing. It's the, it's, here, here's another way to look at it. It's the, if you were to get married and you were getting married in seven days, it's like that last push to evaluate anything that is unknown that I may be ready for my bridegroom, yeah. right? You're supposed to be doing days of atonement and 
and, and, and repenting all the time for the things you know? What about the things you don't know? What about the things that are unknown? What about the things that are hidden? It's a time to get low to prepare us for what's to come. So when you come going through that process, now you're ready to celebrate. Because you should be coming not with your junk, not with how hard, not with what, there's no, because you, because you're, you, I mean, I would, I would, for me anyways, all the work had been, I'm not saying work didn't start after, but I'm just saying to get to the wedding day, the work had been done, the invitations, the phone calls, the lists, the the DJ, the money, the what's for dinner, the my my oiling up, my dress. I mean, you, you guys know what it, there's a lot. All of that is done. When I start walking down the aisle, the only thing I'm focused on is him. That's it. I'm not worried about anything else because everything has been done. That's what I mean. When you come to Tabernacles, you have done the work to be able to celebrate and enjoy what you're walking into. I mean, it it wouldn't be good if I procrastinated and I'm walking down the aisle and I'm like, did I, is there food for the guests? Yeah. Ridiculous. But that's what we have to do, right? So we got to think about these things as a family. Well, how do we want to handle tablet? How, how do we want to handle if we're going to live together for seven days? What are we going to do about food? Just it's, it's the same thing. It's practice. How do you prepare for a feast? Yeah. Okay. So then don't be that guy. <laughs> don't be the guy that shows up. Wait, what are we doing? Yeah, that's, right. that's good. Yeah. And. <laughs> 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 and I, I want, <laughs> I want us to be thinking about that as far as like a wedding, because there is no place that is. I mean, if it's all right, if it's all right to like talk like this, but there's no place that's untouched. When I, when I when I'm preparing for something like that, I am thinking about everything. From shoes to my insides, from my hair, right? I mean, from from my, I mean, you are from the top of my head to the tips of my feet. I am making sure that everything is looked at, evaluated, and dealt with. Yeah. Right. So it's the same. It's the same concept. This is what I mean by governing the feast, even regardless of celebrating it. It's being able to understand and own what is that process. So what does that mean to make the bride ready? Is it just a lofty thing that you're just, or is is it is there a is there an appointed time where you really begin to align in preparation? Anyways. So I'm not going to read the rest of these, but the rest of them are prompting questions for us to be thinking about how would we uh, handle a meeting so that we can be prepared for that. That makes sense? Yep. Okay. All right. What's continuing to stand out to me is how much more there continues to be of him. That in the process that we walked out of awakening to just from the beginning to relationship out of religion intimacy out of disconnect and performance and all of these things that have separated us from him that that was so good 
and then the greatest divide was exposed and there's more. That that truth came with a promise for more access, for more connection, for even more relationship and more intimacy. And so then now to to be entrusted with something like governing and what that could be one day is protection on top of what what it means as a people to to govern but that there's even more to to be hidden in him or to be covered by him or to be protected by him through that dwelling and even literally that we are just so, I just feel so incredibly overwhelmed and humbled and just want us to be encouraged moving into next weekend or into this coming weekend and take it seriously. Um, Just like mom and dad were saying and releasing us into that this is the beginning of us stepping into the role of a lifetime, right? And to be able to do it together um, is just incredible. So, um, so please, let's do our homework. Let's come, pre- come prepared. Be more than just not that guy, but be the one in the family who says we can and we will understand. If we have a house full of people who are not only hungry, but who are joyful and energized and ready and say we will understand this and we will grow in this and we will right then then we are I mean we're gonna be off to an incredible start. So okay. Alright. Okay, you've got your practical, you've got your literal handouts to equip you this week. We have been completely sent in knowledge and wisdom and um and in a word that the fullness of understanding is to come. So be encouraged. So we're ready. All right, guys. Hugs and love on the way out. <laughs> and we'll get to go all weekend. Dan is ready for. Oh, I thought you were ready for a hug. I'll be there in a for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomheirsflag.org. Thank you.